Well, good morning, church. It's going to get there here in just a second. Back to normal. But uh, my name is Cody King, and uh, I'm the Edgewood Campus Pastor here, and I have a new life in Christ. Um, I struggle with anger, fear of man, and a fear of failure. Hey, thanks. Thanks, guys. But it's great to be with you all. Uh, we're continuing on in our series of regeneration, uh, just walking through um, the steps that make up this ministry um, that uh, we've seen the Lord use to do um, wonderful things in the lives of many people um, here at Stone Point and then also the surrounding area. Um, I want to begin this morning just a quick little short story, um, and it's going to be really quick, but a super short story. But there was once this businessman, and um, this businessman, he was well known in, in the area of Boston, and um, uh, he would profess to know Christ, he would profess to be a believer, he would, he would say that he understands uh, the law, he knows the Ten Commandments, he would say that he's, he understands God's grace. And, uh, but there was also something else about this businessman. He was known to be ruthless. His reputation was one of ruthlessness as he would pursue business endeavors. And one time he actually said to Mark Twain, he says, Before I die, I mean to make a pilgrimage to the Holy Land. He says, I will climb Mount, Mount Sinai and read the Ten Commandments aloud at the top. Mark Twain responded, he says, I have a better idea. You could stay in Boston and keep them. Now, that's pretty, I mean, that gets you for just a second. You have a man who would pro proclaim to understand grace and understand Christ and, and have Christ, follow Christ, know the law. I want to go to the Holy Land so I can stand on top of Mount Sinai and I can proclaim the Ten Commandments, the very place where God sent those. Ten Commandments to Moses. But he failed to understand the application of those commands. He failed to respond to God's grace in a way that would produce life-giving, would produce faithfulness. But it's one thing to be known as a professor of faith, but then also known as a ruthless person in the way you deal with things versus having a proper response to God's grace, which we'll talk about this morning. So the last couple of weeks, we've talked about steps one through six of this ministry of regeneration. Steps one through three, uh, we realize our need for God's grace. And when we realize our need for God's grace, that prompts us to admit that we're powerless over our sin. And then we become to believe in someone else that can have power over that sin. And then we trust in that person. So we realize the need for God's grace. Steps four through six, then we receive God's grace in that because we've admitted, believed, and trusted in Christ, then we're able to take an inventory of ourselves, of our sin. Once we know our sin and our sin is laid out before us, then we can confess that. And then as we confess that, we know then how to repent from that sin. So we realize our need for God's grace, but then we receive God's grace. And the steps... 7 through 9 is now our response to God's grace. But the way we respond to God's grace is very important. This is an area within the ministry where many people can get bogged down because they've walked through those first six steps, but then a shift takes place, and now it's, wait a minute, now I really need to do some, some heart work, some real heart work in why I hold some of the things that I hold. So step 7, 8, and 9 is we're to follow Christ, we're to forgive 
and then we're to make amends. And this is a very important area as we were to, as we were to walk through regeneration. But it's one of two responses. The definition of respond is to react favorably. It could also be said it's to react quickly or positively to a stimulus or a treatment. The ADA or the American Psychology Association, their dictionary defines a negative response as a response that involves avoidance of or withdrawal from a stimulus. So as I said, many people can come to this part of this ministry and they can get bogged down because there's all of a sudden there's this stimulus to do something that can be very difficult. Let's learn, know how to follow Christ, but then forgive and make amends with other people, but we can withdraw from that, and that would be a negative response. Ephesians chapter 4, um, verse 30 through chapter 5, verse 2, uh, Paul says this. He says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So notice what he says. He says, Now do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. By whom you've been sealed. So this would be an example of a negative response. It's not a matter of salvation. He says that you don't grieve the Holy Spirit, but you've received this Holy Spirit. He is your seal for the day of redemption. But the way we respond matters here. Grieving him would be negative. But look, conversely, beginning with third, verse 31, he says, Now let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. He says, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, love, or forgiving one another as, Christ, as God in Christ forgave you. So we see the contrast between a negative response to God's grace, but then the favorable response to God's grace. And then chapter 5, verse 1 and 2 says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So we come to this point and our focus begins to shift from an inward searching to the one who gives us the grace needed to do that searching in the first place. So we respond to God's grace first and foremost by following, by forgiving others, and making amends with others. So let's look at those three steps this morning. So to follow. What does it mean to follow someone? It means to go after someone. Definitionally, it means to go or come after. It's to move behind in the same direction. It's to accept a, as someone as a guide or a leader. Also to act in accordance with or obey. Also means to imitate or copy. When we look to follow someone. Step seven says we humbly ask God's spirit to change our hearts and minds to follow Christ fully. So to follow is in a transitive verb, that means it has a direct object of it. In this case, it is Christ. As we approach step seven and we are to follow, we humbly ask God's spirit to change our hearts and minds to follow Christ fully. Not, 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 not halfway. You know, it's, it's not, there's no half step here. It's a full two step. We're all in, we should be all in with following Christ. But it's also not a passive following. It is an active following. The disciples, as Jesus called the disciples, every one of them, to follow him, they had to physically follow him. But for us today, it's, it's not something that's lost on us. To follow someone is an experience that we all understand, we've all experienced, we've all felt, we've all done in one way or another. We all follow um, sports teams. We follow athletes. Right? Next week, we're going to ask you to 
to wear your, your, your favorite sports team apparel. Right? And it signifies, in a way, who you follow. But we can also be passive in that following. We can say, hey, I like them, but really not actively follow them in some way. The clearest picture of this is around social, social media. I don't know how many different platforms there are now, but between ch- Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, Facebook, TikTok, the list goes on and on and on and on of platforms and ways where we can go and we can follow people, but we can either be a passive follower or we can be an active follower. A passive follower is one who just scrolls through and just looks at what people say. But when we begin to share what people post or we begin to imitate that video they post, we are now active followers in of that person. But what else does that mean whenever we become active followers of someone? When we begin to share people's posts and what people say, we have now begun to identify ourselves with that person. And herein lies the danger in many ways. I'm not making a case for don't, we need to be mindful of who we're following on social media, but the point isn't there. The point is, The danger comes whenever we begin to actively follow something, we begin to identify with that thing. And this church is where our number one struggle will fall, is our identity. And who and what we identify ourselves with. But what or who we follow, that person or that thing that forms our identity. It can be a relationship, it can be past sin, it can be race, ethnicity, career, it can be our own ego or our own self-worth. All of these things we can follow after, we can form an identity around these things. One of the most prominent in our day, in our culture right now, is sexual orientation and gender identity. It is a misplacement, it is a miscategorization of who we are meant to be and who we are called to be. And if we would claim Christ and be Christ's follower, we would do what Christ's word says and we would follow after him. And that should form our identity. So our problems will begin there with what we identify ourselves with. But if it's anything other than Christ, it's incorrect. But his is the image that we were created to bear. God created us in his image. When sin entered the picture, when, when, when brokenness happened within the world... We no longer had the ability to bear that image the way we were created to do. And the history of mankind went from that point. And just the degradation of the world and creation began to happen from that point where we have it today. But God knowing that, God in his goodness and in his love for us, he sent Jesus. Jesus is the exact imprint of the Father. He is the physical manifestation of God's glory and God's holiness in physical form. Jesus came in God's image, and now he, through Christ, conforms us to Christ's image so that we can bear the image we were created to bear. Y'all tracking with me on that? That's the idea. That's the identity that you and I should have. But now, how do we follow him? The way that we begin to follow him practically is we trust and obey him. Look at this story with me. This is one of my favorite stories in the Bible on trusting and obeying Christ. But oftentimes when I've read this story before or or studied this in some way, I haven't looked at it from the lens of obeying or obedience. I've looked at it clearly from a lens of trusting Christ, having faith in him, but also there's an obedience obedience that's here as well. And I hope you see it. Well, you're going to see it because I'm going to tell you about it when we get there. Um, So Matthew chapter 14, 
verse 25 through 33. If you've grown up in church, this is a very familiar story. This is Peter walking on the water. Um, so um, at this point, Jesus had just fed, fed the 5,000, and um, he goes away to a desolate place to, to pray. He sends the disciples on across the Sea of Galilee, so they get in the boat and they head on. Jesus does his, his praying, his thing. He comes back down. They're already gone. And they're headed out there, and they're away from the shore, and all of a sudden a storm comes, and, and it's beating. The waves are beating against the boat. The wind is against them. And, um, and then Matthew tells us this. He says, And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And then verse 28, and Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you, on, to come to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him and saying, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got back in the boat, the wind ceased and those in the boat worshiped him saying, truly, you are the son of God. You see the response to what just happened? Once they got back in the boat, they worshipped him and they said, Truly you are the Son of God. They were saved in the midst of that storm. But let's go back to Peter for just a minute. We know the aspect of trust there. But look at what Peter initially said in verse 28. If you have that, put that back up there for us. Verse 28, And Peter said to him, Lord, if it is you, he says, command me to come to you on the water. Lord, if it's you, command me. Peter didn't say, hey, Jesus, is that that's you? Hey, can I come out there? There wasn't a request from Jesus. Is it okay if I come out there to you? Well, Peter recognized him. If it's you, Lord, if it's you, my master, command me to come out there. And Jesus simply said, come. And Peter responded in obedient faith. Certainly to walk out, step out of that boat onto the waves and the craziness. Of, I mean, practically, I don't even know what that would look like. Did his feet even hit water? I don't know. Did he get splashed? Did he get wet? Nonetheless, he responded faithfully, but he responded obediently. And then he said, command me. Jesus said, come. And, Jesus, and Peter stepped out and he walked to him. But we all know what happened. What happened? The wind's going on. Peter, all of a sudden, he became aware of the wind, and he became afraid of that thing. He took his focus off the object of his faith, and he began to sink. But then his response, what was the proper response? He realized his need for grace. He realized his need for salvation, and he cried out for the one that he knew could save him. He didn't say, oh, John, hey, Andrew, throw me a rope. I'm sinking. No, he said, Lord, he says, Jesus, save me. He knew who it was that could do the saving. And of course, Jesus lifted him up. Jesus saves him. Now, a lot of times, Peter, he can get a bad rap from time to time. His arrogance, Peter's brashness a lot of the times, his lack of faith here. But at the same time, Peter is the only disciple other than Jesus, he is the only human being that I've ever read of or heard of or known of that has walked on water. That's because he trusted and he obeyed his Lord. And yeah, he began to sink, but it gives us an example there. 
but he followed Jesus. But then something else to note here as I read this story. When did the wind cease? The wind didn't cease until he got back on the boat. But that begs the question for me, church, is how did they get back on the boat? I choose to believe that they walked. I choose to believe that that when Peter cried out, Lord, save me, that Jesus lifted him up. Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? I don't know why I doubted. I'm sorry. Please forgive me, maybe. I don't know what that dialogue would have been like right there in the middle of the sea, but nonetheless, he picked him up. Some may say that Jesus carried him back. I like to think, I like to believe that Jesus lifted him up, set him back on his feet over the water, and they walked back to the boat. But Peter did not take his focus off of his Savior. Peter had a Lord, and on that water he had a Savior, and he followed both back to safety. That's what it looks like to follow Christ. But we have to trust and obey him. So, for Peter, I don't know if we'd say that was easier necessarily, but you and I today, we don't have Jesus physically here with us. Right, so, I mean, how do, we, how do we follow a man that no longer lives on earth, that never, no longer walks on earth? Well, God in his goodness made a way. Look back at step seven with me. So, step seven again is follow, but look at how it's read. We humbly ask who? We ask God's spirit to change our hearts and minds to follow Christ fully. So we ask Christ's or God's spirit. Foundation 7, Scripture is Galatians 5, 22 and 25. It says, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Verse 24, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Then verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, he says, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. The way you and I follow Christ on this side of the cross with him at the Father's right hand in the throne room of heaven, the way we follow him is we walk hand in hand with his Spirit whom he has given us. We keep in step with him. We don't lag behind. We don't get out ahead. We keep right there in step. Oftentimes in the New Testament, when, when you read of the Spirit, the word is parakletos. It's where we get the word paraclete. He comes beside us, and we walk hand in hand with his Spirit as he leads us, and he guides us. Now, Jesus knew the day was going to come that he was going to be gone, so he tells his disciples of what's to come. Read with me in John chapter 14, verse 15 through 17. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. Note that if you have your Bible. And we're going to be flipping real quick, so do fast page turner. But note that. He says, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells in, within, with you and will be with you. Same chapter, verse 25 and 26. He says, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. In chapter 16, verse 7, he says, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. 
but if I go, I will send him to you. And then John 16, verse 12 through 13, he says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. So if we come to a place at any point in time, how do I follow Christ? Well, you must one have the spirit. When we come to Christ, we put our faith in Christ. We're justified by that faith. We receive our salvation. We're also given the Holy Spirit. We're giving, given the helper. We're given the spirit of truth. And Jesus says when he comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will lead you. My very spirit, my very presence, the same spirit that rose Jesus from the grave now lives inside of the believer. And he is the one that helps. He's the one that guides. He's the one that leads. He's the one in all matters Let's us know what to do and when to do it. In Acts 1.8, whenever Jesus tells the disciples there, before he ascends to heaven, he says, he says that, that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. The idea when, when he says you will receive power, it's not a power that's within you that at any point in time you can just, oh, all of a sudden power, and I'm going to lift this up or I'm going to do this right here. But the idea is that when you need this power, it will be present for you. You see this immediately with Peter and John when they heal the lame man as they're going into the temple. You see that power in how to respond in Peter and John to the religious leaders as they are trying to say, you're not to speak of Jesus or teach in his name. They're like, that's for you to judge. We're going to do and we're going to speak of what we know. But they responded in the Spirit because the Spirit gave them the power, gave them the words in the moment when they needed them. That's the idea for you and I. Is we have his Spirit and when we need it, it is there to lead us, but we have to be walking with it. That is the way that we follow. But it's in the Spirit that we have everything we need to follow Jesus. But we have to be willing to do it. It's an act of the will. It's an act of following, not a passive following. I'm not just liking a share. I'm actively following and participating. So when we follow, we will then trust and obey his commands. And one of the things that Jesus commanded us to do was be at peace with one another. Mark 9, 50, he says, be at peace with one another. Matthew 5, 9, he says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. But now you and I, do we always live at peace? <laughs> no. I mean, I don't, I don't know about you, but I mean, there's sometimes I, can, I can't get through a day without not being at peace in some way with somebody. Sometimes that can be a struggle, but sin still exists in every one of us, and our sin harms other people, and other people's sin harms us. There will always be circumstances that exist where we need to forgive others, and there's going to be circumstances that exist where others are going to need to seek forgiveness from us. We're going to need to make amends to other people. We're going to try and make things right with those that we have hurt. But now I want to read something to you. This comes straight out of the regeneration curriculum. I thought of paraphrasing it, but it's, it is just very good. So I want to read this section to you. It says, sin creates deep wounds. The sins of others have hurt you. Your sins have wounded others as well, or wounded others as well as yourself. Sin is costly. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23. Sometimes the cost of sin is so high that it causes a physical death. For example, 
murder, or drug overdose. Sin can also cause the death of trust in a relationship, for example, adultery or betrayal. Sin can cause the death of innocence, such as exposure to pornography or sexual abuse. Sin can also cause the death of a reputation, for example, lying or cheating. But God placed a sense of justice in all of us. This sense of justice longs for balance. We feel sin's cost in, a, in big and small ways because sin creates debt in our relationships. When someone hurts us, we feel owed an apology. Do we not? Everyone in the room can relate to that, right? right? When someone hurts us, we feel owed an apology. We look to pay back those who harm us to balance the score. But the biblical rebalancing or the peacemaking process is one, of pay, is one of pardon, payback, and balance for the debt of sin. It's the process of forgiveness, amends, and reconciliation. We'll talk more about reconciliation next week. But real quick, I want to talk about what it means to forgive and how we should make amends in this peacemaking process. For we would all agree there is always opportunity to do these things. So to forgive, step eight says we forgive those who have harmed us and become willing to make amends to those we have harmed. Ephesians 4.32 says be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as Christ, as God in Christ forgave you. So what does it mean to forgive? It means to, to grant pardon for an offense or absolve. Definitionally, it's to release or give up all claim on account of a debt or obligation. It's to give up resentment against another person. But forgiveness forms a vertical transaction. A lot of times when we think forgiveness, we think that it's just between you and I. Forgiveness is between me and the person that's harmed me. But it's not. Forgiveness is a vertical transaction. It's giving up that to the Lord. It's a transfer of justice to God. Because remember, when we're hurt by someone... Or we're asked or there's a need to forgive someone, we feel owed an apology. I'll forgive you, but you need to do something for me in return. But that's not the way that works. We release that justice to God because ultimately it is God who's going to enact justice or vengeance on our behalf. If you were with us in the latter part of the Roman series, Paul said, don't, you don't avenge yourself. You leave that for the Lord. The Lord says, vengeance is mine. I will repay but it's not easy to do. It's easy to say. I understand that. It's easy to say, but it's not easy to do. So the, here's a question that I have for you. If you've trusted Christ and you've accepted that his suffering was sufficient to pay your debt of sin, have you also considered that Christ's suffering would be sufficient payment for the sins of others that have been committed against you? I threw that for just a second. If you, if you have accepted Christ's suffering in his death as payment for the debt that you owed for your sin, is it reasonable to say that we should accept his payment of death, the same payment for someone else's sin against us? But sadly, we don't look through it with that lens a lot of times because we are owed an apology, right? I'm good. God paid my debt. But I'm not sure if that covers you and what you've done to me. But for some Things For Christians who have hurt you, the idea is if, if they're a Christian and they've hurt you, well, they've accepted Christ already. They've accepted him. They've accepted his payment for their sin. 
Therefore, you and I can let that go. That's their sin and their sins against you are covered if they've accepted Christ. But what if they're a non-Christian? What if they're a non-believer? What if they haven't accepted Christ's debt for their sin and they're still in their sins? How is their sin covered for what they've done to you? But another question is, will they become Christians? If they're a non-Christian, they haven't accept, accepted Christ's payment for the debt that they owe. Part of that debt is against you, so who's, who's covering that debt, right, is the idea. Who's paying for that if they hadn't accepted it from Christ yet? But the next question I have, if that's the case, is God's wrath not enough? Again, from Romans chapter 3, if... if Chapter 1, if if the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness, if the wrath of God is revealed against all sin, in Romans 3, all no one is righteous, no, not one, so all of us are under God's wrath, so if someone is a non-believer and they haven't trusted, the penalty of their sin has not been paid, they haven't accepted that from Christ yet, is it enough to say that his wrath will take care of their sin against you at one point in time? This is the idea of whenever he says, do not avenge yourselves. God is a God of justice, and his justice will be repaid. It's either paid for already in the Christian that has wronged you, or it will be paid for one day for the non-Christian that has wronged you. That's why it's a vertical transaction, is we give that justice up to the Lord. So a few reasons why we don't forgive others. So here's some misunderstandings. Forgiveness is not excusing sin. A lot of times we don't want to forgive others because we feel as if if I forgive you, I've excused your sin. That's not the case. Sin is very serious. It is never an excusable thing. God does not excuse any sin under heaven. It is all paid for. It is either paid for by Jesus or in the end his wrath will consume it. So it's not an excuse of sin. Another misunderstanding is, is, is if we forgive, we're denying hurt, and we're stuffing our anger. And that's not the case either. You should be hurt, and you should be angered by sin. It's not, we, we don't have to say, oh, okay, well, I'm good today. Today, I feel better about it. But forgiveness frees you to honestly work through pain, to grieve sin and release resentments to God. But it's also, it's not a feeling, and it's not conditional. A lot of times we can say, okay, I forgive you, and I feel better about it today. And we can feel better about forgiving someone today, but then all of a sudden we see them in the grocery store, and all of a sudden that frustration and that anger and that hatred begins to well back up. We duck them, we go around a different aisle because we don't want to engage them. Would, would you say that you've forgiven someone when you feel that? So it's not a feeling and it's not conditional. It's an act of the will to release your claim, again, of justice to God. And it's also not forgetting How do you forgive something that you forgot? How do you forgive something and then all of a sudden forget it? If that's your desire, if that's your goal, what do you do when all of a sudden you see them once again? They're out in public and you see them and everything you thought you forgot just comes welling right back. So it's not forgetting. But it's an act of the will, again, turning that over to the Lord. So another reason why we don't. We use pain as protection. We can also use another sin to justify our own sin. We can use a harm suffered against someone to manipulate a relationship, to overpower or control someone. We never let them forget. Now, a few reasons why we should. Well, one, we follow Christ's example. Colossians 3, 12 through 13 says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. 
bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. So the reason why we do it is because Christ did it. Number two, it is a surrender of justice and vengeance to God. Hebrews 10, 30 and 31. He says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. You entrust that to the Lord. And number three, it frees you to love others despite their sin. So instead of allowing their sin to continuously bring you to a place of frustration, anger, or hatred, how exhausting. Have you ever experienced that? How exhausting to allow someone else's sin continue to rip you and rob you of all joy, peace, and contentment, but put you in a place of frustration, anger, and hatred all the time. Proverbs 10, 12, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. How do we do it? Well, we should prepare our heart. Prayer should be present in how we do this, but here real quick, there's an acronym we have for you. Let's be free. Let's be free. One, F is face the truth. Be honest about the sin. And then release the hurt. Give the pain to God. And then we entrust justice to God. And then we exalt Christ in it. And then we find ourselves to be free of that sin. Facing the truth, releasing the hurt, entrusting justice to God, and exalting Christ. So there's the first step of the peacemaking process. The second is amends, and we'll run through this rather quickly. Um, So we seek to make amends with those that we have hurt. Amends means a reparation or payment for a loss, damage, or injury of any kind. To make amends means to pay back. So step nine, amends. We make direct amends whenever possible, submitting to God, his word, and biblical counsel. Romans 12, 17, and 18 says, Repay no evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. He says, If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. So the need for it is when we have sinned against someone, we are now indebted to them. And, we'd also, and, we's all, and we have also, in any sin, we've sinned against God. So God forgives the sin, but man forgives the debt, is the idea. So when it comes to amends, you're not doing this for you. You're doing this for the Lord, and you're doing this for the other person. You're doing it to love them and obey God. So if we don't make amends, what does that mean? It means that we're walking in disobedience. We're hindering our fellowship with our fellow man, but we're also hindering our fellowship with God. It limits then our our effectiveness in ministry. So now why do we make amends? For those reasons, yes, but it's also because disregarded debt is disobedience. If we completely disregard what we owe, we find ourselves to be walking in disobedience. Romans 13, 8, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. Oftentimes we think of debt just simply in monetary terms or, or, or in property of some, some way. But no, to be in debt is to owe someone something. And if it's an apology, that is a debt that is owed. And if we're not paying that debt, we're in violation of Romans 13.8. When he says, let no, date, no, let no debt remain outstanding. But we should be continuing to love one another. But now disregarded debts also, they hinder our fellowship with God. But also man, Matthew 5, 23 and 24. 
Jesus says, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, he says, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Think through that practically for just a minute. Earlier, everyone in this room, we were engaged in worship of the Lord. Spiritually, we're standing before the altar and we're offering our worship to the Lord. And God says, if in that moment, Jesus says, in that moment, you think of someone that you have wronged, he says to lay your gift down. Cease your worship of the Lord and you go be reconciled to your brother. Then you come back and you offer that worship. So two things are happening at the same time. One your fellowship with the Lord, your worship of the Lord is hindered because he's waiting on you to be made right between your fellow man. And you're also out of fellowship with that person. So Jesus says it's highly important. He says, lay your gift at the altar. So two people are waiting on the other side of your obedience in that. One is the Lord and the other is the person. And they, don't, they probably don't even know it, but they're waiting on the other side of that. For you to go and to make it right. So what is making amends? They are one way. It's cleaning up your side of the street. It's not going and asking for forgiveness. It's not, it's not, hey, will you forgive me, but. It's just simply, will you forgive me? I have done this. You, we own it. I have done this. Will you please forgive me? And it's asking. A lot of times we would say without asking, please forgive me. Notice the difference between, hey, will you forgive me and please forgive me? Please forgive me is I'm telling you to forgive me versus, no, will you forgive me for this thing that I have done? But Christ came to make amends on our behalf. He came to repay our debt. Colossians 2, 13 and 14, he says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Christ, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt. He made amends on our behalf that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. So two important things to remember in light of Christ's example. One is obedience and wisdom should always drive it. But two, fear of consequences should never prevent it. When we go to make amends with one another, we should do that with wisdom. We should do it with the counsel of God's word, his spirit, and his people. And we should not fear what will come if we do. Anything that you and I do out of fear puts us against the Lord. But the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So church, that's where we begin in this peacemaking process. We need to follow Christ. But when we find ourselves forgiving, when we find ourselves making amends, remember what sin does? Remember that sin causes death? It causes deep wounds that ultimately lead to death. But when you and I are granting forgiveness, when you and I are making amends with, making amends with other people, we are breathing new life into that thing that died. And is that not what Christ did for us? is that you and I were dead in our trespasses and sins. But God, through Christ, made us alive together. We found forgiveness. We found a payment of our debt made by Christ so that we would live. We do the same thing. That is what it looks like to follow 
Christ. And that, church, is the proper response to God's grace. So last week, Charlie, he did a quick interview. We, we, we wanted you guys to hear from someone that has worked through these steps, that's been a part of this ministry. We're going to do the same thing this morning. Uh, we have someone that um, has not only been through um, the ministry, uh, but at this point now, uh, she has led several several uh, times, I believe, right? So this is, uh, this is Carla Stevenson. Carla, say hello. Hey, my name's Carla. I'm alive in Christ, and I struggle with pride and selfishness. Hey, everybody. So, um, so Carla, you've, um, you've, of course, you've been a participant. You've gone through regeneration, but how long have you served in the ministry now? As a participant, that was a little over a year. But then I have, this is my fifth group to fifth lead group. as a leader, and we're in step nine. So step we're nine. around seven and a half years. You, you're, like you're fresh walking through these steps right here. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Hey. Uh, yeah. So, uh, um, so yeah, so, so that's a lot of, um, I guess, going back through it. So it's, it's, it's an it's a interesting point to make is that though she's, she's been a participant, though she's leading, leaders that that lead through this ministry, they have the opportunity, they have the blessing in a way to continually work through these steps. So, I mean, would it be accurate to say you're not just, just oh, sitting no, there listening? Oh, no, you're absolutely you're... participating in every single group. Yeah, as you're leading. Yeah, and yeah. it's amazing how God will teach you something new no matter how many times you've been through the steps. Yeah, we, yeah, we never arrive. We never we? arrive. We never arrive, yeah. So, just a few questions um, that I have for you. So, Starting with, um, what was life like for you um, before walking through regeneration? And what brought you to regeneration? Before regeneration, my life was complete and total chaos. It might not have looked like complete and total chaos because I was managing everything, especially my sin, instead of letting God Mm -hmm. manage my life. So in my heart, everything was chaos and I was prone to fits of rage or depression or the use of anything that would relieve the stress and pain of me trying to control everything. And what brought me to Regen was um, my husband had started and he was a couple of months in and I said, I struggle with pride. Um, There was no way I was going to allow him to learn something that I didn't know. So I had to get there to make sure that that wasn't going to happen. And the other thing was I was going to, um, there was a guy in my journey group who wanted to attend. And so I was going to go and support him. And he didn't stay. So I found out real quickly. It was for me. Yeah, so <laughs> yeah. for How me. good was your support? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so you had the two reasons you went ended up not being the reason you stayed. Absolutely. The two reasons True. I went had, were completely off from what God wanted to show me. Right. So I guess by way of encouragement on that, if, if you're thinking about going through regeneration, whatever thing right now you feel would hinder you from doing that, remove that from your mind and just take that step of faith. And I promise you'll be blessed uh, to do that just on that point alone. So second question, um, as a participant, um, what were your two biggest takeaways um, Freedom, freedom, freedom. There was so much, all that stuff I was trying to manage, I didn't have to manage it anymore. 
You know, I learned these steps where I let God run my life instead of myself. So I was free from that. And my heart was free to learn him more and to love him more and to follow him and learn his character. So regeneration not only um, gave me the tools to uh, live a godly lifestyle, it gave me the hunger and thirst of righteousness Uh for they shall be filled. You know, it wanted me, it, it taught me to want God more. And that hasn't gone away. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. So, um, so second question is similar. Um, so that's as a participant. But now as a leader, um, what are the biggest joys or blessings that you've experienced as a leader? Life change, absolutely. I mean, seeing some, seeing some people come in with the same distraught in their heart that I had. Different circumstances completely, but just wildly chaotic inside and sometimes outside, and then walking through the steps and seeing these people filled with joy and just excited to go out into the world and bring God's kingdom Uh to make reconciliation happen, to have the peace process. It's just um, that it just, it swells me every time I think about it. And also um, not only getting to sit in the front seat and watch that life change happen, but being an intimate part of the connection with this person and God, mm-hmm. getting to be that, that, getting to be there for that is, is a huge, huge blessing. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Um, so are there some things that, um, um, that uh, f- say, from group to group, things that occur or things that are similar from group to group that you lead? Always. Let's say, yeah, let's, let's say, I'm sure there are, but just what might be some positive things that, um, that move from group to group, things that you continue to see? Light bulb moments. Man, when someone picks up the trust tool. Okay, so we admit and believe, and um, admitting that you need regen <laughs> can be tough, especially for a person like me. And believing seemed like, you know, I, I believe, I've always believed, but really understanding what believe is, but trust is that tool. That's the thing that you pick up and you take with you. And, when, and from season to season, when I see someone pick up that trust tool and they apply it to four, five, six, and then when you get to seven and using your trust tool and following, man, you understand what it is to truly forgive and to make amends. Yeah. So light bulb moments for everyone is, is something positive I take away every time. Every time. Yep. Hey, what about, um, okay, something that, that you would say would be a negative that you see consistent from group to group? Um, there's, always, there's always someone who's just not in the season for uh, facing some of the stuff that can be really tough. And, um, or they may have different life circumstances, but whenever someone, the, the negative part of that is my heart gets broken when I don't get to watch someone find the freedom that I know Mm -hmm. they can find if they're able to use the tools. Now, I know that God uses that no matter how it it results. If if they have to step back or they're not able to commence or whatever, I know that he still uses the time there, you know, with them and it's not wasted. Yeah. Yeah. Would you say, um, I'm sure you did, but um, kind of back to you as a participant um, and some of those things that do carry from group to group to group, um, you know, would, would you say you experienced that even as a participant, like a light bulb moment? Absolutely. Well, I had several light bulb moments, but um, like follow is one of my favorite steps mm-hmm. in intimacy, you know, because you're really understanding why 
am I doing all this in the first place? Yeah. And how much peace that comes with that. But um, what was your question again? Yeah, just um, what was it from a, a light bulb moment from being a participant? There's one specific thing. That forgiveness is a transaction and that it wasn't um, a feeling because uh, there's people like me who've been through the world that had a lot of damage, you know, and I had all those receipts that yeah. everyone owed me. And when I was able to understand that taking that to the bank of God and saying, here's all my receipts, you know, now you are responsible for all this. Yeah. It, it was lifting. But then behind them were books that said, Carla, 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 oh, from wow. all the receipts that other people had brought that I had caused them. Wow. Which, yeah. That's a spotlight. That yeah, was a spotlight. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Praise the Lord for that. Praise the Lord. Well, Carla, thank you for taking the time um, just to answer a few questions. Church, I hope, um, and we pray that, that this has been an encouragement for you. Um, it's not an easy uh, couple few steps to work through, but highly important when we look at regeneration, just specifically with this ministry. But um, for every one of us not walking through regeneration, um, if you're a believer, we're called to follow Christ, and we're called to forgive, and we're called to make amends, and those pro that's a process that should be always ongoing for us all. Amen. But uh, let me pray for us, church. Lord, I thank you for this morning and um, our time together and um, our... Um, our ability to have this time and do this, Lord. And I just pray that you help us to see, um, Lord, your grace. Help us to learn to respond to that grace, Lord, in growth-producing ways. That we would know more and more how to follow you, Lord. Um, the importance of, of giving forgiveness to those that's harmed us, Lord. But also doing the difficult work of seeking out those that we have harmed. Um, to make amends and make things right. And ultimately be reconciled to you and them. But I pray that you just teach us more and more how to do that well, Lord. Um, Lord, we love you and we thank you, and it's in your name that we pray. Amen.